Usually I have a pretty good idea about what I'm going to teach on or preach on a few weeks out, sometimes even a few months out. This week, this Sunday, this morning, was a little bit different, though. See, last Sunday, Pastor Russ wrapped up our On a Mission message series. Thanksgiving, right around the corner, we should probably talk a little bit about that. In Advent, December 1, we are going to start a new series called A Star is Born, and in January and February, we'll be in a series called 2020 Vision, which I'm really excited about. But as far as this week, I wasn't really sure what we should talk about. And so Wednesday morning, on my way into church, I thought probably be a good idea to pray about this. Ask God what he wants for you to hear this morning. That's something I've actually been trying to get better at in my life, asking God for directions. It just, it's, he just seems to have better ideas than I do. I mean, not just when it comes to pastoring, but also parenting as a husband, really just as a person. So Wednesday morning, I was on my way in praying, God, hey, what should we talk about together on Sunday? Made it all the way to church. Still hadn't heard anything yet. I don't know what it's like for you. Sometimes God doesn't respond quite as quick as I wish he would. I mean, he always does respond. Sometimes it's just a little bit longer process than I would like for it to be. I did hear from him, though. It was about 1.28 in the afternoon. I only know that because I was sitting at a train trying to get to a meeting at church. I had just come from the hospital, and I received a phone call. And in that phone call, I felt like God spoke very clearly to me what he wanted for us to hear this morning. My call was from a very good friend. And my mind really was sort of uh, in between the things that I was doing. But he called, and I could tell from the moment I picked up the phone that, that something was different in his voice. Something was going on. And so he said, hey, how's it going? Do you have about five minutes to talk? And I'm sitting there, and I look, and I can't see the end of the train. It's still coming. And I said, sure, I've got about five minutes to talk. And I said, what's going on? And it's like he didn't even take half a second to jump into it. He said, I'm just so happy. I'm so happy. I finally feel free. I don't have to be afraid anymore because I know that God loves me. Probably we could all agree that a phone call like that is pretty special, regardless of who happens to be on the other end. In order for you to understand truly, though, how profound this moment, how profound this conversation really was, I have to tell you just a little bit of background. I could tell you a lot about my friend. He's quite a character. This morning, I just want to limit it to three things. First of all, my friend is Jewish, grew up in a very Jewish family on the East Coast, And I don't know if you know this, I didn't realize this until I was well into my 20s, but still today, in many Jewish homes, 
there is a tremendous amount of fear and trepidation when it comes to Christians and Christianity. I mean, probably, well, I won't say probably, it is well-deserved. A lot of things have been done to Jewish people by Christians over the centuries in the name of Jesus. And so a lot of people who grow up in a Jewish family from a very young age, again, there is this, there's a fear, there's a trepidation about um, Christians. And so the simple fact that we are friends, in fact, we're very, very good friends. I mean, that in and of itself is something. Second thing I'll tell you about my friend this morning is that, and I know this is getting a little personal, but I know he wouldn't mind me sharing, is that he has really for most of his life struggled with feelings of just not being good enough. Sure, many of us, maybe all of us can relate to that to one degree or another on one level or another, but just to put it into perspective for you, years ago he, he graduated as the salutatorian with a degree in mathematics from Duke University, and his parents at his graduation made sure to point out the fact that he came in second. Experiences like that have a way of cutting deep into a person. Experiences like that, and of course that's just one of many, have a way of affecting the way that we view God. A few years ago, my friend accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. He came to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed, is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. That's pretty amazing. But even though he made that decision, he has continued to struggle with, I mean, accepting God's love because just sort of falls back into that works-based mentality. And I know we do sometimes too. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, maybe we've had a good day. We've done well and we feel like we're closer to God. And then the next day, we, maybe it doesn't so, go so good and we lay our heads down at night and we think to ourselves, man, God must be disappointed. You know, that's what I'm talking about in this message when I refer to works-based theology or understanding our relationship with God as being somehow based on our performance. And so this is something that he struggled with for a long time, really hindered him from getting close, getting deep in his relationship with God. Here's the last thing I'll tell you about him. You probably already figured this out, but he's a pretty smart guy. Recently, he retired as the lead physician at one of the biggest, one of the busiest clinics in the state of Kansas. Since he's been retired, he is, uh, I mean, he's a little bit like me. He can get tunnel vision, and he can just sort of get fixated on something. And what he's been fixated on is the Bible, listening to theologians on the radio, on podcasts, on the internet. Being smart is usually a good thing, but sometimes when we spend too much time in theology and ideas, we run the risk of missing the point. We talked about this two Sundays ago when we when we wrestled with the difference between faith and belief, when we talked about ideas versus experience, right? 
For my friends who have overcome even just one of those things, let alone all three. And I just want to tell you that I could hear the change in his voice. I'm happy. I'm free. God loves me. I don't have to be afraid anymore of messing it up. Only God's grace and God's love can affect a change like that. This morning's message is for anyone who has ever wrestled with the question, does God love me? Does God love me? The answer to that question, of course, is yes, but you don't have to take my word for it. Before we got off the phone on Wednesday afternoon, my friend told me about two passages of Scripture that played a pretty big role in this spiritual breakthrough for him. One was the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and the second was from Romans chapter 8. This morning, we'll be reading together from one of those two passages. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 through 39. Now, as you make your way there this morning, could I just remind us of a few things about Paul, and in particular about this letter that he writes to the church in Rome. Here's the first thing we remember about Paul together this morning, is that he grew up in a Jewish family. It wasn't just any average or ordinary Jewish family, though. Acts 23.6 tells us that, that Paul's father was a Pharisee. We know when Paul gets a little bit older, he becomes a Pharisee as well. In fact, he becomes someone who is described as a zealot. I mean, he was hardcore in his Jewish faith. Another thing we know about Paul, and we have to read between the lines just a tiny bit, but not very much, is that Paul also, for a season in his life, struggled with this same mentality that God's affection for us is somehow based on our performance. I mean, this works-based understanding of God's love. Now, that shouldn't be surprising to us because we recall that, I mean, what were the Pharisees all about? They were all about strict adherence to the Jewish laws, all 613 of them. I mean, that is a, that's a system that is pretty much set up for failure. I mean, you're bound with that many rules, that many regulations, you're bound to mess it up sometimes and probably not feel so good about it. So when Paul has this personal breakthrough and he realizes for the first time in his life that God's love for him is not dependent on his performance, it becomes probably the most frequent thing that he talks about for the rest of his life, the rest of his ministry. Consider Galatians 2.26. He says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. How about Ephesians 2, 8 through 9? 
By grace we have been saved through faith. This is not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Or just one more this morning, Romans 3, 27 and 28. Paul says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. And those are just a few examples of many. Again, when Paul has this breakthrough in his understanding of what it means to be loved by God, it changes him. He can't stop talking about it. One final thing that I'll mention about, about Romans, and I'm sure all of you already know this, but Romans is generally regarded as the greatest work that God produced through Paul. He did a lot of good stuff, wrote a lot of letters, but Romans is generally considered to be his sort of magnum opus. It was written at the height of his life, his ministry, his career, his wisdom, his understanding, his knowledge, and it has had a significant influence on the history of the church ever since it was composed. It's a powerful letter. Within that letter, there are chapters that are considered to be really the heart of the whole letter. Romans chapter 8 through 12. If you're looking for something really, really deep to spend some time in, spend some time in Romans chapter 8 through 12. I have to warn you, though, it is not light there. In Kansas City, there's a restaurant. I've been using a lot of food illustrations lately, probably because Thanksgiving's right around the corner. In Kansas City... There's a restaurant called Jess and Jim's, and they have something called the 75-ounce steak challenge. If you can eat the whole thing in less than an hour and keep it down, then it doesn't cost anything. I don't know if anybody's ever done it before. I don't know who would. I mean, I like steak, but come on. That's taking it a little bit too far. When I consider Romans chapter 8 through 12, that's, that's where my mind goes. This is deep. This is rich stuff here. Now, I wish that we had time to read everything that leads up to our passage of Scripture this morning. We don't. So let me just sort of sum it up. Here's all I'm trying to say is that everything in this whole letter has been building up to this moment and what Paul has to say in it. First few chapters, they're pretty deep. They're pretty theological. But in our passage of Scripture, I mean... Paul begins to get a little bit emotional. He begins to get passionate. And you can, you can sense that in the words on the pages, even though they were written 2,000 years ago. You can hear it in his voice. Something has changed in Paul. What is it? I have a guess this morning. I think it may have had something to do with the fact that he finally, after all these years, was happy. He was 
free. He knew that God loved him and he didn't have to be afraid anymore because he might mess it up. Hear these words. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We'll come back to that passage next Sunday. No, in all these things, every single one of them, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, some translations right here say confident, convinced, positive. Paul says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Absolutely incredible. Only the grace and the love of God can change a heart, can change a life, can change a man like that. So much that we could dive in to together this morning. And when I consider this passage of Scripture, there are three very unique, very distinct portions of this passage. This morning, we're just going to look at one together. Friday night, I completed a version of this sermon that covered all three. But when I looked at how many pages it was, I realized it was pretty long and I made a, I called an audible and decided to turn this into kind of a two Sunday mini series called Beyond Love. I mean, there's a lot going on this Sunday, a lot going on next Sunday as well. And so this morning, really just want to look at one section, one message. Keep it simple. Verses 35. And 38 through 39. I know we read it once already, but would you mind if I, I just read this portion of it once more? This time, a little bit slower, so that we can really let it sink in. I mean, the significance of what's being said here. You ready? Who shall separate us? from the love of Christ? Can tribulation, can distress, 
can persecution or famine or nakedness, danger, the sword. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, not height or depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And would you agree with me this morning that that list is pretty exhaustive, pretty comprehensive? I don't know if you counted, but I did. Paul lists 16 different, 16 specific challenges that we might face in our lives, any one of which can tempt us to wonder if God's still there, if he still really cares. Paul covers a lot of ground here, but just in case, just in case we're wrestling with something that's not mentioned in his list, did you catch it? In verse 39, there is a sort of catch-all. Paul says, nor anything else in all of creation. Nothing else. I want to be super clear this morning because I know what it's like sometimes to let something go in one ear and out the other. And I know that there are people here who are sitting there thinking to themselves, that sounds really nice, but you don't know what I've done. That might work for somebody else and their situation, but you just don't know. Now, just to be perfectly clear this morning, this is including sexual sins, sexual preference, addiction, abortion, Things we did in the military that we've never talked about. It includes people that we have hurt, whether intentionally or unintentionally. It includes the way we look on the outside. It includes how great or how not so great we've been as a parent. And anything else that I've neglected to mention. Now, please hear me when I say, when I share that list with you, my point is not to comment on the morality of, of any of those items, not saying this is right, this is wrong. The reason I share those specific things is that over years in ministry, these are the top things that people struggle with, and they feel that God just can't get past and so if you're here today and, and any one of those things is holding you back from really embracing or receiving, accepting, experiencing God's love, just want to remind you of what Paul says here. Nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. If you leave church this morning with 
just one single message. A single truth that you can carry with you into the week, into your life. I pray it would be this. That God loves you even more than you could begin to imagine. I mean, he's not finished with you, not finished with me, but he'll never love any of us more than he does right now, this moment. I mean, think about that for a second. When the reality of God's love and the fact that it is not dependent on our performance really makes its way into our hearts. And we, we can't help but write about it. We can't help but talk about it. We can't help but call our friends and say, you know what? I'm happy. I'm finally free. Because I know that God loves me. I don't have to be afraid anymore of messing it up. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about two other portions of this passage of Scripture. We're also going to talk about, I mean, some of the things that prevent us from experiencing God's love. I mean, there's nothing that we can do that could make God love us less, but sometimes there are things that we harbor in our hearts that that, that block us from experiencing God's love. And sometimes getting through those takes a little bit of work. And so we're going to talk about that next Sunday. Next Sunday, we'll also talk about what is beyond love. You might have thought that that was it, but there's even more than God's love. Stay tuned. In the meantime, I want to invite us to just enjoy what it means to be beloved. Will you pray with me this morning? God, thank you so much that you do. You meet us where we are. You love us as we are. Nothing we can do can change that. I pray that you would grant us the freedom and the joy that comes from knowing that you are on our side. You have our back and you love us deeply. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.